Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Food is not the answer to world peace, but it's a start. That's a quote from the late, great chef Anthony Bourdain, written proudly on a wall of a restaurant called Hush in Dublin. I get it. In a pre-pandemic time, when a lot of people would rush and race and schedule life to the hour on a Google calendar, for many, the highlights of our days would be mealtimes. When, whether alone or in company, we would stop, savour, think and escape to another world for a while. As well as being a means of survival, food has become a big industry worldwide. Ireland is a former agrarian society. Our economy and our plates depended on what could be cultivated from the land. Whether that was vegetables coming out of the ground or animals feeding off it. That is no longer us, for sure. In the intervening years, we have switched to a knowledge-based economy... And in truth, our palates have changed to the extent that we don't actually care how many air miles is on it. We want our avocados for breakfast. In saying that, agri-food is still our main export and everything to do with agriculture still employs 10% of our workforce. That isn't even counting the amount of people running and working in restaurants. So as well as sustaining life, a healthy and thriving food sector is actually really important to our economy. However, if a kitchen is a fiery place to be in, being in the office upstairs trying to make a restaurant a viable business is even tougher. Rents, supplier bills, innovation, social media, business rates and tax, and now a global pandemic where government instruction to everyone is to stay at home. The renowned and Michelin-starred chef Richard Corrigan grew up on a farm in Ireland and builds his menus around what you can grow and produce on the land. But award-winning food is no good without people to eat it. As a restaurateur in the heart of London's business and tourist districts, he now finds himself looking down at empty streets from that office window upstairs. Correct, yeah. I mean, we are right in the epicentre of, of what I'd class as one of the busiest public restaurant areas in, in Europe, you know. Uh, well, well, our restaurants have been closed. Uh, Bentley say we're going to uh, reopen it tomorrow evening. Uh, Daffodil mm. Mulligans, we reopened uh, three weeks ago. Mm. Uh, the first first two weeks was, was I, I'm going to be honest, the early parts of the week were grim enough. Mm. And we've seen some life on the weekends, and that just got a little bit better. Uh, during the day, uh, people came out a bit earlier in Daffodil Mulligans. And basically, our brunch on Saturday, which we put in, has proved to be a real hit, believe it or not. So, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So, yeah. you know, we, I think we managed to break even last week. Uh, I mean, well, well, well ahead 
of the months we thought it was going to break even. But let's see what this week brings because it really is a roller coaster. Yeah. So you know what I mean. I wouldn't. I wouldn't start jumping off terrain just yet because no. it could be. We could. We could be back in the dungeons again next week. I mean, there's no way we could even attempt to open that right now until the the hotels get to around sixty sixty percent. No. You, Richard, you, you never thought that that this would be the situation when you opened no, in no. Mayfair? Well, you build things and, you, you, you know, I mean, I was building for another generation as well. You know, my, mm. uh, my, my youngest is in hotel school. Richie is in ops, ops in the company in London. And Jessica, my daughter, is in, in the media part. Yeah. You know what I mean? Really with crab communications. And, mm. you know, what I mean, I always thought, you know what I mean? I was going to lead them a really solid company with very hardly any debt on it, with some freeholds attached to the whole thing. Mm. And it's absolutely a bulletproof situation. Yeah. But my God, you know what I mean? How the world turns in eight months or six yeah. months. You know yeah. what I mean? Really? So, yeah. uh, I mean, yeah, we are, we are facing, we're facing a very grim time. There's no question about it. You know what I mean? We'll attempt to open Bentley's tomorrow evening. And I could imagine what the level of business will be. It'll be, if we've done 20%, probably of what we were doing before, yeah. uh, it'll probably be successful. You know, we're dreaming of 45%, but yeah. let, let me be surprised on that. I don't think that's just going to come our way just yeah. now. This, it's not the, the first big recession that you've experienced as a chef or a restaurateur, though. Like you well, opened Corrigan's no. in 2008, but it's, it's a very I, different yeah, I, situation. Yeah. I've, I've been through, I've been through the crash of 88. You know mm. what I mean? Really, I opened Stephen Bull's Lampard Street in 89 uh, at, the, at, the, at the massive crash time. Mm. Uh, but these were economic crashes. They weren't kind of pandemic crashes. Yeah. So there's, there's, a, there's a difference. I mm. think you, you can say my, 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 my life experience and wisdom has seen me through the recessions. And I always looked at recessions with a bit of relish and a smile in the eye. Yeah. Thinking, you know what I mean, they will weed all the weakest out and just, you know what I mean, there's time for growth and the landlords always start to behave themselves a bit better. So there's opportunities in recession. But yeah. I've always seen opportunities. And But in a pandemic, no, no, no. There's, yeah. there's no comparison, I'll be honest with you. Mm. We're really trying to hold on to the arse of our pants. We're, we're, we're trying to run with our legs together, you know what mm. I mean, and blindfolded. So what can I say, you know what I mean? Mm. My life experience has now taught me I must keep it absolutely super cool. Yeah. I must absolutely, you know what I mean, be, be one with all the senior crew around me to see any chance of getting to the other side. Yeah. And it's no time for hotheads. It's no time for egos. This is absolutely vital things. Mm-hmm. Well, on a more positive note, you know, Cargans was opened in 2008 and Bentley's opened in 2005. So th- these are long-standing establishments in the centre of London. You know, you were doing something right. So what, what do you, why do you think they, they have survived and have had such a good run? I'll be honest with you, Marco phoned me up, and, and this is not anything, and Marco will admit this, you know, he phoned me up, must have been a year ago, a year, a year and maybe three months ago, because mm. and and one of his guests was coming to dine, and he says, Richard, I just want to congratulate you, and how the hell have you done it for this long? Yes, there you go. I mean, and you know what, maybe it's a bit of stupidity, maybe it's that pig-headed attitude, maybe it's... Maybe it's believing that there's a better day coming. Maybe it's always reinvesting in the businesses. Yeah. Mm. The bleakest times, you know what I mean, really. Uh, when Brexit was announced, I felt a big whack in Mayfair. You know, mm. you really felt the financial part of the private dining. You know, you could feel, yeah. you could feel a retraction yeah. straight away. 
And and you know what? I believed it would come. So we we got we got involved with the dead rabbit. We done the bar dickies. You know what I mean? Really. And it certainly gave us a, a more casual lift, and that's mm. certainly seen us through to the next, to this part of the phase uh, before the pandemic. So, you know, constant, I mean, there's no such thing as a, a lost business. It's only when people give up, yeah. uh, you lose your business. I've never tended to give up, in fairness. I've always, I've always believed that, you know, it will be better. It will get better. Things will improve. And it goes the same for this pandemic, but we will not come out unscathed from this one. Let's be very, very clear. I want to announce that this morning that I'll be very lucky dying day to hold on to everything mm-hmm. because there's lots of landlords out there saying, give me my money for this year. And, you know, you're having a hope in the head of ever paying them. So, you know what I mean? Well, well, you know what I mean? Let's let's see where. Yeah. Let's see what mm. the end of next year brings. Yeah. And Richard, you said earlier on in this that it had to be a hand-holding exercise with landlords and and banks and and all the rest of it. So has has that come to fruition? Are you know are are they? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> we hit we hit our landlords uh, very uh, within well within a month anyway. We were on with, with our landlords and a lot of landlords igno- ignored everything for at least a month. Mm. Uh, you know, emails didn't get returned and, you know, and there was very, very contrary kind of attitude from them. You know what I mean? But as as it, as it went on, I mean, I think the hopelessness of it all is starting to dwell on them. Far from the big ones, you know what I mean? The Middle East landlords, really, and the Russian landlords in London who really don't give a fiddler's mm. monkeys, really, if you're there or not. Yeah. So let's be clear. One of those groups is my landlord. I won't tell you where. But you know what I mean. Really, dealing with them has been has been. Uh, let's be honest with you. It's been challenging. Mm. Uh, it has been comedy. I'm going to call it comedy because you couldn't even. You well, couldn't you have even, to. Yeah, absolutely. So you know what I mean. Really, we will. We will. We will. You know what? I mean, we've got this far. Exactly. Uh, I, I. I. I've never been to. I've always been careful about finances in the company. I've always been careful about what we do and where we invest and what, whatever mm. we do. So we, 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 we will get through this year, but will we get through next year? I yeah. can't, I don't have that, that answer. you know, ball to tell yeah. you that. Yeah. You know what I mean? I can do an interview with you in a year's time and hopefully I'll be in still as chirpy mood with good attitude. And who knows, I might be, I might be back jobbing as a chef. You'd never know. You never know. You never know. Now, Richard, your, your colleague, as you mentioned there, Marco Pierre-White was a guest on this podcast as well. And he spoke very fondly of you and he said he wouldn't have dreamt of opening another seafood restaurant down the road from yours in Stephen's Green in Dublin, which is very nice of him, I thought. Um, so you, you, that that restaurant subsequently closed in Dublin. Talk to me about the scene for restaurants here, maybe at that time and and now. And well, it was my it was my utter enthusiasm that made me come into Dublin. I'll be honest, it didn't close because it economically failed. Restaurants is a combination of partners and investors mm. and, and people, and if really you don't see eye to eye with you know your investors and your partners, well. It's, better not to stay around yeah it really isn't it's better to get out you know with as as much as you put in as at all possible without absolutely losing losing your shirt so i achieved that in dublin so what can i say there's not many investors that come into dublin and walk out with the same amount of money that they put in so you know what i mean i achieved my goal Mm. i got my money and i hightailed it out of there because being a minority shareholder in a situation is not a great place for me Mm -hmm. particularly Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if you have been back in Dublin in in the the kind of the recent past, but I it have. seemed I have. like I have. I have. yeah, it seemed it's like there was a new restaurant opening every week. And oh, I just you know, yeah. I wonder, do you yep. think it had become a bit saturated? Ah, you know what? You know, there's a big movement. You know, what I mean, there's a big movement to dining out. I mean. Let's, let's put something into perspective. In, in 1989, Stephen Bull, who I worked for, we were Times Restaurant of the Year in Blanford Street. Mm. Stephen said to me, I said, Stephen, where is all the customers coming from? And Stephen reckoned there was 7,500 uh, 7, professional customers that were regularly dining out in central London in those days. Mm. I mean, that was well to probably a few hundred thousand. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, times have changed. People people are uh, uh, dying out now as part of just their lifestyle. Yeah. You know what I mean? You, they work hard. They're working longer. They're working in, in smart, smart, well-paid jobs. They don't want to go home and eat a roast chicken on their own. Uh, you know what I mean? So going out is, is now a part of the society. Yeah. And I think that, that will be there. And there is room. Things, people always talk about saturation. They're mostly journalists who haven't... Having a clue, really. Yeah. I mean, there's always a point, a tipping point, where you know the hotels go up like skyscrapers all around mm-hmm. you, and you think, "Oh my God!" But you know, it's normally on the back of other business opening as well. There's rarely, it's rarely they're opening just because someone wants to open a restaurant. Of there's course. a there's there's a want, there's a want in particular areas as more areas around Dublin be, become more 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 fashionable, more cooler a more hipster, you'll always find a group of uh, uh, people in hospitality opening cafes, bakeries, coffee shops and restaurants around that. Mm. So I don't think that's going to change. I think urban areas need their eateries and that will keep going on. It, will they need so many? Well, who knows? Who knows? Mm. This will knock the hell out of uh, a lot of us on the way through and we might be very happy to have a well-paid job going forward because the meagre earnings you might get from a small little restaurant with two chefs and a few customers every night. They might just wake up six months later and go, God, this is not for me. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Now, I want to talk about Michelin stars, which you have yourself. And Marco famously gave back his and told us in this podcast that he just got exhausted with the system of working towards a Michelin star and and pinning all of his success on it. I'd love to know how you feel about the the whole Michelin system and do you feel they are important or are they important maybe at a certain time in your career, like early on when you're trying to establish yourself? I think I'm a bit unusual in this field, I'll be honest with you. I've always, I never went after a Michelin in my life. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I, I've, I've uh, just uh, run restaurants and uh, I've been awarded a Michelin star. I've never, I mean, Michelin famously quoted in a phone call or a chat with me in one of my restaurants there's only one of the one of the few cooks that never ring us. Yeah, because <laughs> you know? you're too busy. I, I go. I, I said, why should I ring you? You know what I mean, really. Yeah. I, uh, you know, the fact of the matter is, you know what I mean. A, a star at a certain time in your life is a wonderful accolade. You know what I mean, mm. really. It's like it's 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 a degree for most cooks. You know what I mean. Uh, you know, and I've seen chefs change. You know what I mean. I've seen I've, changed, I've seen it change from. You know, you read George Orwell's Down and Out in Paris and from the kitchen antics and all of that. And I've seen it, you know, change into people with university educations coming into it. It has got better. There's smarter people in it. I've never seen hospitality with the most brilliant, brightest of stars working in it. 
so you know, I think Michelin really at the end of the day is part is part of a movement of cooks at a certain time in their life where they really, really want to excel at a given area. But they realize there's constraints around that as well, because the whole thing about a Michelin is consistency. And, you know, therefore you lose you lose the bottle a little bit. You don't want to change yeah. the menus. You really want yeah. it to keep it the same, keep it the same, not too many numbers. And you end up with vast amounts of restaurants and be, becoming unprofitable or becoming, you know what I mean, uh, financially unviable. And you see it in recent closures, even in Ireland. But you know what? Michelin has been a wonderful shining star on my back uh, through my working career. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? I, I, I don't go after them. I've never looked for them. Mm. They've always been given. I mean, you know, really, uh, you know, they've always made their comments very clear to me that things are far too many busy. You're far too busy. I love being busy. I'm a farmer's son. Exactly. And anyone, yeah. no one will tell me how busy or not I should be. And you know what, my son, you know, Richie, you know, who headed up the team, they got a star and put Bellon in the top 100 in the world in Hong Kong. You know what I mean? Mm. You know, he might have a different view. I have my view. I've always stuck to it. And I've just uh, woke up every morning, had a bit of fun. At the end of every day, we've always had a bit more fun. And, uh, you know, I don't... Uh, just just the personal pursuit of ego yes. and ambition can make you a very dull person. So be very careful what you wish for and what you want in life. Make sure you have a nice balance all around you. Uh, Michelin star is a wonderful thing to have over your restaurant. There's no question about it. But, you know, don't sacrifice your life, your relationships mm. and your business for one. In the pursuit of it. Well, it was far from Michelin that you grew up with in in the farm in Meath. Um, you know, your your menu was dependent on what was available in the fields. Very similar to my parents. Remind me of this time. And I feel it has had a huge impact on how important food provenance is for you. Well, first of all, I've always felt that people in the countryside are very honest and straight talking. You ask a question and they'll give you an answer. It might be the one you're looking for. Mm. Uh, but I was brought up in a, in a, in a small country cottage uh, with land, uh, which probably my father farmed full time up to the 70s and then went out and got a job because there was no more living, not much of a living to be had with a family. Mm. Because uh, farming changed pre-EU and then post-EU. So, you know, but, but, you know, my father was a keen shooter, a great fisherman, you know what I mean, a great poacher of a salmon, you know what I mean? Uh, we always had a pheasant hanging. We had eels and wild salmon for breakfast. So I, I thought that was normal, you know what I mean, really. My father was, uh, you know, if, if a piece of steak came into the house, my father, we cooked it rare, you know mm. what I mean? Yeah. Food was a very important part of our table. My mum made the bread. So I think when you're brought up in that culture, unknowingly, you end up quite a, quite a bit of a foodie snob, you know what yeah. I mean? Butter, bread. We, so by going into the hospitality, hospitality sector, kind of an extension of my home, and I've always felt what I've enjoyed personally i like to have other people to uh, kind of feel that as well so you know what i mean i'm not pushing for visual visual technicalities mm. or visual smartness and visual beauty and then this big Foam smart and kind of, you know yeah you know i've never been around it i've always kind of looked and seen it and tried it out and went that's boring yeah. i remember doing a test with one of london's great chefs who's in one of london's big restaurants i mean really is a very very and we got a lobster each, 
And he was telling me how beautiful he could cook a lobster in a little pouch. And I said, okay, you do that and I'm going to do it. And we'll do a blind tasting with some customers in one of the private Mm -hmm. rooms. And you know what? What a pile of muck we ended up on the table. You know what I mean? (laughs) Technically, absolutely fantastic. But it wasn't for eating. It was for the visual effect. And most cooks, and it's a great shame, most cooks, a lot of cooks, really look at things visually. I, I really want to be, I want to be blind and I want to taste it on my palate and go, God almighty, that's interesting. Mm. So, you know, I've always loved the simplicity of food itself. You know, that's why I love that whole French traditional background. You know what I mean? That, that you know, cuisine grand-mère. I, I really, really adore it and I love it. And that's where I really want to be. Yeah. And... Things on the bone, fish on the bone. On the bone oysters, and yeah, cooked and butter. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, culture <laughs> butter. Well, I mean, it's interesting when people talk about culture butter. I've always looked at farming as agriculture. You know what I mean? Mm. Really, and cooks kind of putting buttermilk into a bit of butter and whipping it up. I mean, you know, I've made butter as a kid. I know what real butter tastes of. Yeah. You know, and by putting a bit of buttermilk in, in inferior butter, it does not make. Butter great. Yeah. And you you supply your restaurants in London with the fruit and vegetables that you grow on your own farm in Virginia Park Lodge in Cavan. Why is that important to you to, to be having Irish vegetables in the restaurant? Well, people talk about fresh fish. I would talk about fresh vegetables. Mm. And there's no question about it. I've always I come from a market garden background anyway, you know, orchards and all of that. And my, my grand my grand my grandfather's planted trees and my father planted trees and I wanted to plant trees. Uh and I just wanted to carry on some of the traditions of my childhood and I wanted to see could we make it commercially viable. It was it we struggled in the first years, let's be honest with you. It's not a love affair, it's not a love story. Mm. Uh but growing growing your own. By the way, I mean, honestly I mean, carrots just pulled out of, you know, our polytunnels. I mean, come on. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, kale, you just pick out of your You're food. selling I mean, it to me. Mo- You're selling it to me, Richard. You know, well, it's, it's about freshness. And yeah. most vegetables are a week old, not from small market garden or supply and restaurant, but the big yeah. chains coming in, you know, the big vegetable suppliers. Vegetables could be two weeks old, kept in a refrigerated environment. Don't tell me that doesn't affect the flavor. Of course mm-hmm. it does. Mm-hmm. You're eating something inferior. And if we're going to take as so much time in our oysters and our seafood and our whole whole acquirement for our food in our restaurants, I've always felt I would love to have to do the same with mm-hmm. our with our uh, fresh vegetables. And we have we've mm-hmm. achieved something incredible mm-hmm. down at Virginia Park Lodge. I mean, it really is. I mean, it's the real deal. It's you know, I've been in three star restaurant gardens, and I, I'll be honest, they might look good, but I don't think there's too many chefs picking vegetables in them. You know no. what I mean, really. We have a working farm. It's not there for the visual beauty of the customer. It's for the it's for the chefs in the kitchen. Yeah, quality and control is is something that you're you're fully across. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. Listen, you know, when you're, as everything kind of gets a little bit bigger, you know what I mean. It's always something that you worry about. But you know what? It's 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 a. Uh, it served me well till mm. till now. It has served me very well. Yeah, and I have to ask you, in just the fact that you are, um, you're on a supply chain from Ireland to the UK, is is Brexit a concern for you and and possible yeah, disruption there? Yeah, Brexit is a major concern. I'll be honest with you, because uh, you know, I mean, it would, it would have to change. I might have to look for a farm in the UK, but mm. really expensive to do. You know what I mean? And that's a great shame. 
because I've invested very heavily into my gardening operation. I mean, we've we've put a million bucks into our restaurant, or not our restaurant, our garden operation yeah. in the lodge. Mm-hmm. So you know what I mean. I'm I'm you know, and that's just future planting and polytunnels and nurseries. You know what I mean. We have you know winter gardens. Uh, we have blueberry orchards. We have orchards, heritage. I mean, I mean, you know, the Glenstall cooker, mm. the Cavan sugar cane. These are apples we use in our restaurants in London. Heritage Irish varieties, which makes me incredibly proud. Not just because they're Irish, they're absolutely fucking damn mm. good. Mm-hmm. And that's why I do what I do. I really chase flavour. And what we've achieved in Virginia Park Lodge in our gardens is just absolutely phenomenal. And that's probably why Bentleys and Cargans is, is still going so strong. Well, before, before all well, of Well, yeah, they, they, were, they were going, uh, going. absolutely great up, yeah. to, up to March 18th, yeah. that's for sure. But nothing, nothing of your doing. Um, Richard, I just want to, to, to end on um, a, a, a kind of a, a call to action for our younger people, which is, is a huge reason we're doing this series to be of service to young people trying to kind of figure out what they want to do and and without doubt they're getting a tough start in in the current um circumstances that we find ourselves in now with the pandemic i'd just love to know what would you what advice would you give to young people who might feel that they're really starting off on the back foot that could be whether they want to go into food or or whether they're thinking of a different career but what what would your best advice be to to young people starting out? Maybe that you tell your own kids. Well, I wouldn't let a pandemic get in the way of uh, my future thinking. Uh, in fairness, it's a once in a hundred years, hopefully, uh, 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 situation. Uh, I think if you love food, you should follow the course. You should, but you know, be be very careful about where you want to be and what how, how you want to do it. Because it's pointless starting off thinking I need to be in a city centre and then you pay all those rates and all those landlords will grab every penny out of your pocket. And you end up in a situation where you really, you'd be better off making a professional job of it working for a company or a restaurant company. Uh, you know what I mean? Mm. Who, 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 who can afford to pay you a really good wage so you mm. can get a mortgage and have a really good lifestyle. So, you know, the whole entrepreneurial kick of owning your own business isn't for everyone. So don't do it because you think you should. Mm. Follow your dreams. Stay true to yourself. Absolutely let nothing, nothing stop you achieving what you want. But be careful. Be careful of landlords, grabby, grabby landlords taking all your hard work because that's what they will do at the end of the day. So you might be better off go heading into uh, the countryside, finding an absolute rundown place, putting mm. it together yourself. And absolutely starting from scratch with bloody 60, 70, 80 grand, a little bit of a loan, a little bit of a family help. You know what I mean? And Mm. starting with 10 covers, 20 covers, 30 covers, because you will knock a fantastic lifestyle, your lifestyle. I mean, the whole thing about opening a restaurant is, I've always felt, I've always said it, is to be self-employed is worth a million bucks. Really? Why? Because you're your own person. No one is telling you when, how, where, you know what I mean? Chains of email nonsense, you know what I mean? Repetition of the same shit coming mm. through your phone every day absolutely knocks my head into tomorrow. Mm. I sent an email to the team last night. I said, just stop, send, stop sending emails, please, for a week. You know mm. what I mean? Yeah. You, you know, know, you know Marco, yeah. Marco doesn't operate in emails and he has a Nokia phone. I love it. 
Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And he's I he's not it. he's he's he hasn't done too badly out of it. No, 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 absolutely. But but uh, you know, I think the millennials love love these chains of emails. You know what I mean? Really, yeah. it's just you know what I mean. It's it's just chasing chasing the cat's tail the whole time. Yeah, let's, and not actually and not on. actually achieving anything. Uh, yeah, totally. So let let's focus on really what people want to do in hospitality. By the way, it's a wonderful it's a wonderful career, wonderful lifestyle. I've, I've up to now, up to now, let's mm. be very clear, mm. up to now, I've had, I've lived a dream. Mm. I really have. I've mm. lived, I lived, I lived, I lived in scary moments. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. I haven't been living the dream every decade. Mm-hmm. There's some decades we come through with recessions and depressions yeah. that scares the absolutely monkeys out of mm. me. Uh, but you know what? Keep debt to a minimum. If you take on debt, get rid of it as quickly as possible. And try, and try, if at all possible, if you come out of the country, you'll buy a freehold. You'll have no landlord. You're the landlord. And after maybe 10 years of hard work, you can sell us and move on to something better. So, you know what I mean? Maybe this is the time to stop this kind of, you know, nonsense of just everyone wants to be in the city centre, yeah. in the city centre. Lifestyles will change. Lunches are getting weaker by the year, is something I have noticed over the last six or seven years. Do you mean and, long, long you know lunches? Long lunches, yeah, absolutely, mm. yeah. There's, there's, you know what I mean. There's always, there's always people who go to lunch on a Friday, but you know what I mean. A, a lot of restaurants close now Mondays, mm. and I think that will happen in London as well. A lot of restaurants will now close Sunday Mondays mm. after this pandemic, and they'll just say to hell with it. We're not chasing our tails anymore. Mm. Uh, this business has to pay for itself over five days, and if it can't, well, clearly we shouldn't be here. Yeah. Yeah, well, a a positive note to end on, Richard. I I cannot wish you more luck uh, over the next few months, and I know that you will make it through. And you have given so much valuable advice to everyone. So thank you so much for your time. Listen, thank you, and take care. Richard might be in fighting form now, but. As we read headlines of restricted movements advised around London for at least the next six months, he's right not to predict his fortune too far ahead. In saying that, in his own words, he's managed to live a dream while doing work that he loves and not straying too far from down-to-earth values that are a natural byproduct of growing up on a farm without a lot of anything but everything you need. That's it for the first episode covering the food industry. Next up is the legendary Marco Pierre White. I won't say too much more on that. Thank you to Sarah Madden who co-produced this and to Shane at Collaborative Studios. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.